Hey Life Canton, Roger here, one of the directors. So glad that you are joining us this week for this very special message. I want to remind you that whether you are a first-time listener or someone who has been in our community or listened to our podcast before, that either way you belong. And we want to get you plugged in, whether you're a long-time follower of Christ or, or a brand new follower or even someone who's just checking out what a church is about and what Christianity is about. We want to get you connected to our community. So fill out a connect card because that's going to be the best way to do that over on our Life Canton uh, website or on our Church Center app. Those are the best ways to fill one of those out. But uh, we are actually in our summer series on Mark. This is going to be week five, I believe, of our summer series. You're actually going to hear a message from me. And I'm going to continue, in some ways, Pastor Jared's message from last week about evangelism. So give that a listen, and I'll catch up with you in just a moment. My name is Roger. I'm one of the directors here, and I'm so glad that you are with us, whether you're joining us online or in person. We've been, if you've been here for the summer, you know that we've been in this series on Mark, which has been just an incredible time of study. Uh, You get to think about and talk about some really powerful things when you slow down and go through a book chapter by chapter. So it's been a joy to do that. And if you were here last week, you know that Pastor Jared talked to us about how to do evangelism, challenged us a little bit about maybe some of the ways we overcomplicate it. Well, something uh, really cool happened last week. So Pastor Jared had just finished prepping his sermon. I had begun to work on mine, and we had a conversation. I was asking him for some thoughts on uh, a difficult passage, and I realized that I think God was up to something, because my message very much feels like a part two of last week's message. So if you haven't given that a listen, be sure that you catch it on our podcast or our website so that you can get all caught up. But I'm going to actually continue the conversation today about evangelism. And what I want to do is talk a little bit more specifically about what an evangelist is. So I've been in ministry for about eight or ten years. Not that that's that long, but it's long enough to have had a number of conversations with students and adults about evangelism. And one of the things that I find is when I talk to adults, I I get one answer. And when I talk to students, I tend to get another answer. And when I talk to students, who are uh, the primary people that I care for, I will often find when I ask them what their barriers are or the reasons why maybe they're hesitant to uh, evangelize, they often will say, I don't know how to do that. And that's a lot more about uh, a lack of experience or knowledge or understanding of how to do the process. And that's everything that Pastor Jared talked about last week. So students, you're in good hands. But the interesting thing I find is that when I talk to adults, what I will often hear is, I can't do that. I am not able to do that. And that is an issue less so of of how to do it, but more so an issue with feeling underqualified or maybe unworthy. So what I want to do today is talk about who is an evangelist. Who does this work? So, is an evangelist, or I was saying during the week, I kept saying evangelizer. I was thinking of, like, (laughs) John the Baptist. I don't know. Uh, But who is an evangelist? Is it someone who has achieved a certain level of theological education? (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Is an evangelist someone who has achieved a certain level of spiritual maturity? (laughs) 
<laughs> there we go. We got some interaction. I like it. Um, or think about this. So we're, we're a church who believes that the Holy Spirit blesses us with spiritual gifts for the building up of the body. And one of those gifts is the gift of evangelism. So is an evangelist only someone who has the gift of evangelism? We're going <laughs> to... guys are ready to go. I can just stop now. We're done. You get it. <laughs> No, let's, let's keep going because there's some, some things I want to show you in, in a particular story in Mark that I think are not only going to reveal some answers, but maybe challenge some of our understandings about those answers. So today we're going to, well, if you've been following along, then you know what chapter we're in. So which chapter are we in this week? Five. There we go. Mark five. Good. So we're going to be in Mark five. Go ahead, open your Bibles to that. Uh, if you don't have one, that's okay. Follow along on the screen. I'm going to be doing uh, a lot. We're moving through a big chunk of scripture, and I'm also going to be going back and forth. So if you just want to follow along on the screen, that's, that's totally okay. Um, but let's start off in Mark five, verse one. So this is Jesus and his disciples. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling, And cutting himself with sharp stones. So we have this story about Jesus getting out of a boat with his disciples and being immediately confronted by a man possessed by a demon. So we see pretty quickly that this is a story about exorcism. Now some of you may not be familiar with that word. Or maybe some of you might have seen depictions of exorcisms of a person casting a demon out of another possessed person in TV or movies or other kinds of media. And then some of you may be really uncomfortable with discussions of exorcism. You might have a lot of questions. You might even have some doubts, especially when we talk about these stories in Scripture. And I'm just going to let you know that today is not going to be me setting up a theology of demons or exorcism. Uh, Spiritual warfare is real. It is something we need to be aware of. It is something we need to discuss but I wasn't feeling called to have that discussion with you today. If you find Pastor John uh, in the lobby, he is someone who's really passionate and really good at having those discussions. So uh, he is someone you can bring your questions to. What I want us to know today as we go into the rest of the story about exorcism is two things. Um, And the first thing is that this exorcism does not involve someone who is sick or mentally ill. Sometimes we read these stories and we'll have a discussion or a debate about maybe this was just a, a sickness or, or a mental illness that the culture didn't understand. And sometimes that's even maybe a warranted discussion. But in this passage, March makes it very clear. This is a supernatural demon with supernatural strength that Jesus is confronting. This is not a mental illness or sickness. This is a demon. The other thing I want you to know is that exorcism was common in the ancient Middle East. So Jesus, uh, the, or Mark's listeners, so Mark's original audience, wouldn't actually have been surprised by the fact that this story contained an exorcism. They probably wouldn't have batted an eye. Casting out demons and confrontations where demons were actually a part of the culture, a part of the practices and the beliefs of the culture. We now have uh, documentation of really intricate, uh, in-depth 
uh, exorcism rituals from that time period and that area of the world. And I bring this up because it's important that we understand what Mark was trying to teach his original audience, the people that he was writing to. And I don't think he was trying to teach them what an exorcism was. I think there's something else that Mark is trying to teach that we can learn from in this story. So if you are a person with a lot of uh, doubts or questions about exorcism, that's okay. There's there's nothing wrong with that. But I would encourage you to maybe uh, set aside some of those today and and not get stuck on the fact that this is talking about an exorcism. Because what I want us all to do is actually to keep our eyes open for some evangelists who are going to show up in this story. So, what we're going to read next is actually the kind of the aftermath of Jesus casting out this demon. So Jesus comes to this man, uh, he has a confrontation, confrontation with the demon, and then there's some things that happen after. I want to read those first. We're going to get to the confrontation later, but I want to begin by talking about what happens after this demon is, is driven out of the man by Jesus. So that picks up in Mark 5:14. So this is after. Uh, the herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about it, uh, about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. We'll talk about that in a minute. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and to leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home and tell your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So we see this man who was possessed by a demon who was a picture of, of violence and evil and unrest sitting at the feet of Jesus, a picture of, of wholeness and healing and peace. So what I want to ask today is, is this man an evangelist? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this one's a pretty, pretty easy answer, right? We see Jesus actually commission this man at the end of the story to uh, go and tell other people about the mercy that he had shown him and what he had encountered. So this man was an evangelist. But here's what I, what I want you to think about. What qualified this man to be an evangelist? You guys got to stop. We're, we're, getting ahead, we're getting ahead of the sermon. Uh, we'll get there. Um, so what qualified him? And there's this interesting interaction between Jesus and this man where the man asked Jesus to follow him. And you also, you find him sitting at the feet of Jesus. Uh, and this is uh, in the Gospels when we talk about people sitting at the feet of Jesus. It was usually a posture in that culture of learning, uh, of, of receiving from a teacher. So I think about, I wasn't this kid, uh, but I think about the students who sit up in the front of the class next to the teacher, right? It's this picture of eagerness and, and willing to learn. Some of you were that student, and that's okay. I, I celebrate that. It just wasn't me. <laughs> but it's this picture of him saying and, and desiring to be a, literally a disciple of Jesus, one of the twelve. And he tells the man no. And you have to wonder why is that? It's because he lacked something. He was, he was underqualified maybe. Uh, being an evangelist was kind of uh, his fallback plan or the thing that he was qualified to do that Jesus could even allow him to do. And one of the things that Mark does is he, he kind of hints that there's some things about this man that teachers, rabbis in the Jewish culture would have not been okay with, would have found some issues with. So here are, here are three things. 
Uh, one of the things is that the man was a Gentile. This meant he was not a Jew. He did not grow up a Jewish man. Jesus is actually on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in the Greek area. So he was a Gentile. That meant he didn't grow up learning God's ways, uh, God's character. He didn't grow up knowing what it meant to be one of God's people. He was undereducated in those areas. And most, uh, most rabbis would have said this man uh, did not know enough about God. The other issue is that this man was also an outcast. So in that day, the prescription for being demon-possessed was literally to be uh, removed from the community. You see him out on the outskirts of, com- uh, of the community, in the graveyards. You actually see people trying to chain him, put him in shackles to keep him there. So as far as being an evangelist or a disciple of Christ, this man had no relationships. Uh, he had no support. He was not welcome in the community. His presence actually made people in the community uncomfortable and scared for their lives. So again, not a candidate, we would say, is qualified. And this last one is really important. The man was unclean. So unclean, we've used this word before in some of our sermons before, but unclean is another word for um, unworthy or not fit uh, to be in the presence of something holy. So this man was in a graveyard, so he was in an unclean place according to Jewish law. He was around pigs, which were the most unclean animal in the eyes of the Jewish law, and he was around unclean people, pig farmers. So what that meant and why this is important is in the eyes of the Jewish priests, he was not fit to be in the presence of God. In fact, if he had tried to walk into a temple, they probably wouldn't have let him. And the ironic part is that this man who is unfit to be in the presence of God is standing in the presence of God. Most rabbis, most Jewish uh, religious leaders, most uh, Jewish people would have said this man is not fit to have anything to do with God. So is that why Jesus gives him a secondary job of being evangelist instead of being a disciple? Why did Jesus choose this man when no one else would have? Encountering Jesus made this man into an evangelist. Coming face to face with God in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, made this man an evangelist. Jesus saw this man, he healed him, and he chose him specifically for the task of evangelism. This was not some kind of demotion or some kind of you're only worthy for this. This is what Jesus wanted to do with this man. This was the purpose he chose for this man. And here's the other really cool thing about this particular uh, uh, person that Jesus healed. In the Gospels, we often see Jesus healing Jewish people. And he would often tell them, don't tell anyone about me. And it had a lot to do with the fact that the the Jewish community wasn't ready for it. They they were fighting Jesus. Some of them were trying to kill him. But this man is a Gentile. The first Gentile that Jesus heals in the book of Mark. And Jesus tells the Gentile, you can talk about me. You can tell others about me. You are qualified enough to share my mercy and my power and what I have done here with the people around you. None of the Jewish people, but this Gentile man was worthy, was qualified. And it wasn't just that this man encountered Jesus, but that he encountered a specific character trait of Jesus, and that would be Jesus' mercy. Uh, I have the, the definition for the Greek word for mercy, which is to be greatly concerned about someone 
in need or to have compassion on someone. So Jesus sees this man and has a deep compassion for him, not because he did anything wrong, but because when our Father sees us in distress, sees us hurting and struggling, he has compassion on us. It motivates him to have mercy on us. So out of his mercy, Jesus healed this man. And because of Jesus' outpouring of mercy and the mercy that this man encountered, he became an evangelist. So what does this teach us about an evangelist, about spreading the gospel? Jesus uses the underqualified to spread the gospel. This man was, had no training, had no knowledge, had no spiritual maturity. But Jesus chose him to take the gospel into the community. Jesus uses the underqualified to spread the good news. And some of you think you lack education. Some of you think maybe you lack the training or even the spiritual maturity or the gift of the Spirit to be able to be an evangelist. And here, Jesus is in this story showing us that that's not true. That all you need, the only qualification to being an evangelist is to encountering Jesus. That's it. The only one. Once you have encountered Jesus, you have everything that you could ever possibly need to tell others about him. It's that simple. So for those of you who think you lack some kind of training or education, I want to remind you today that you lack nothing. You have everything you need to be a person who takes the, the gospel, the news of Jesus Christ into the community. But I think that there are some of you in the room who maybe your issue isn't qualification. I wonder if there are some of you who think that you're unworthy. Maybe there are some of you who think that there is something in your past or something that you have done or something that you are doing that somehow makes you unqualified, unworthy, unfit to be used by God in this manner. That there's some kind of brokenness in you that will somehow prevent God from ever using you in this way. So maybe your issue isn't qualification, but how you feel about yourself, how you view yourself. There's, a, there's one more character in this story that I have waited to talk about. So I'm going to talk about him now. There's a demon that Jesus confronts. I want us to read through this confrontation that Jesus has with the demon to show you something else about what it means to be an evangelist. So this, uh, this begins in Mark 5, verse 6. And this is after uh, Jesus has seen the demon When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, do not torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, because there are many of us inside of this man. So I want to point out some things that Mark highlights in this exchange between Jesus and the man. So right off the bat, we have this picture uh, of this demon being violent and uncontrollable, breaking chains and harming the person that he is possessing. It's not just a picture of of a supernatural demon, but Mark almost seems to be painting this picture of two forces in battle, of the violent, uncontrollable force of the demon and the force of Jesus and the power of Jesus. And then there's this, this, uh, this name exchange. There's this moment where uh, the demon gives Jesus a very specific title. 
son of the most high God. And that can be kind of confusing to us. Why, why would the demon acknowledge who Jesus was? So it was either that, and there's some debate about this, it was either that the demon was just paying tribute to who Jesus was as God himself, or what also could be happening is that the demon was saying the name of Jesus out loud. And in that culture at that time, if you, there was this belief that if you knew someone's true name and you spoke it, you had some kind of power or control over them. So it could be one of those things. But what Mark is painting is this picture of two, again, two forces clashing. Of, of Jesus telling this demon what to do and this demon not wanting to do it and trying to exert control, trying to uh, force back what Jesus is trying to make happen by forcing him out of this man to heal him. The demon encountered the power of Jesus. And we know from the story, and some of us know from experience in spiritual warfare, how that goes for the demon. The demon is no match for the power of Jesus. Right? When Jesus asks the demon's name, there's no lying or trickery. It's almost like the demon has to say his name, as if when faced with the power of Jesus, he has no choice but to obey. Notice the posture he approaches Jesus, right? He approaches Jesus, and it says that he bowed before Jesus, as if acknowledging that he's in the presence of someone who is greater and stronger and more powerful than he is. A posture of deference, a posture of submission. And think about the, the name that the demon gives himself, Legion. This is a military, uh, a Roman military unit. So again, this picture of the power of the demon and the power of Jesus, but the demon not being able to overcome. You might have seen uh, movies or, or TV with these uh, exorcism rituals uh, where there's holy water and there's beads and there's lots of incantations and, and, and lots of Latin. And <laughs> uh, Jesus, what you notice, Jesus doesn't do any of that. And some of that is actually founded on some of those documents that I told you about that we found in the Middle East and East, but, but Jesus doesn't do any of that. He says, get out. Get out of that man. He doesn't need, ex- <laughs> we can cheer for that. He doesn't, he doesn't need rituals. He doesn't need holy water. He needs nothing but the power of his own voice, and the demon has to obey. Now, here's the part of the sermon where I'm going to make you a little bit uncomfortable, um, but there, there's a method and there's a reason, so, so stick with me. Because I don't think that the power of Jesus is the only thing that this demon encounters. Um, look at Mark 5, 10 and 12. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. Okay, another confusing thing. What is this demon talking about? So uh, in Judaism, there's this belief that demons were tied to specific regions. And when you exercise them, when you cast them out, you sent them to a different place. You sent them far away. And for some reason, the demon doesn't want that to happen. So he's, he's literally begging again and again, Jesus, don't do that to me. Don't send me away. And what does Jesus do? Uh, does he smite this demon? Does he get angry? Does he deny his request? Look at the next verse. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. This is so confusing and so weird. We don't, we don't understand why Jesus did this. We don't understand, and the thing I want you to know is Jesus per, notice is that Jesus' permission results in 2,000 pigs dying, which may not sound like a lot of pigs, but the reality is that was the local economy. That was how these farmers fed their families. And Jesus gives the demons permissions. And I wish I had an answer for you, but I don't. Mark doesn't tell us why. But here is what I want you 
to notice. What else does the demon encounter about Jesus? Put that, uh, that definition back up for me. To be, this is the definition of mercy. To be greatly concerned about someone in their need or to have compassion on someone. The demon encounters the mercy of Jesus. The demon begs for mercy, begs for compassion, and Jesus complies. Again, that's really confusing, and that can be really tough to struggle with and to to think about why would God give a demon mercy? A demon doesn't deserve mercy. It's an evil being uh, just bent after destruction and harm. Why would he do that? That can be confusing, but I want you to think about it this way. What does this teach us about our God? It teaches us that the, the... our, God's ability, our Father's ability to have compassion, to have mercy, is limitless. That he could even have mercy on a demon. That's not confusing. That's something to praise and to celebrate. Jesus has endless capacity for mercy, even for a demon. Okay, so now I'm going to ask you a question that I have gone back and forth about asking. I, I ran up on my wife. She's like, you're going to ask What? Uh, but I'm going to ask you anyways, because I don't always listen to my wife. Uh, <laughs> okay. Was the demon an evangelist? <laughs> you guys are too good this service. Think about that. Was the demon an evangelist? So the demon's intention was not to bring glory to God. He was not there to make Jesus' name great. He was not there to let anyone know who Jesus was. But look at the next passage. This is after uh, Jesus drives out the demon. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what happened. Again, not the demon's intent. But Jesus' intent was to display his power and mercy through this demon and to have the encounter of this demon be a, a, a testimony to his glory, and to his goodness, and to his mercy, and to his power. Amen. Amen. As uncomfortable as this story makes us, the demon was an unworthy, unwilling evangelist. We get the unwilling, but let's, let's focus on that, on unworthy. The demon didn't want this. But our ability to be an evangelist to spread the gospel, to bring the news of Jesus to other people, has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with Jesus. This is what Jesus wanted. This was Jesus' plan. And because that's what he wanted, there's a psalm that talks about even the rocks will cry out to you. This is what Jesus is doing. He's taking this evil, despicable, unredeemable demon and and using him to be an evangelist, to spread his gospel, his good news. So if Jesus can use a demon, why can't he use you? You're not a despicable, unworthy demon. You're a child of God. There is brokenness in all of us, like this demon, but we are so much more. So if Jesus can do this with a demon, he can do it with you. He can use you to spread the good news, the gospel. I'm going to be honest about this message for a second. Uh, When I first realized this is what I had to preach on, I panicked. (laughs) I was, it was a couple weeks before, let's say a couple months. It makes me sound like I prep really far in advance. Uh, it was a couple months before, and I'm looking at, uh, at Mark 5, and I'm like, okay, so I got 
the demon and legion, I don't want to deal with that. And then I have the woman bleeding. Jerry talked about the woman bleeding a month and a half ago. <laughs> I have to talk about the demon. And I was so confused. I'm like, this is such a hard passage. There's so many questions. I, Mark doesn't answer all the questions. I don't want this to be a stumbling block for anyone. And I was so lost and confused and frustrated with how to teach this to you in a way that honored God and brought you clarity uh, and peace and joy. And then I was reading commentaries, which is another part of my process. And I'm realizing, like, the scholars don't want to deal with this either. They don't like this passage. Like, it's weird and we don't like it and it makes us uncomfortable. Can we talk about something else? And then I found one, one sentence and one commentary, and I want to share that sentence with you, and it changed my whole view on this perspective. Uh, this is a quote from Alan Cole. You don't know who it is. It doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> here to, so he's talking about the man who has had the demon cast out of him. He says, we might have thought that his understanding of the gospel was inadequate, but he had recognized who Jesus was and had experienced his saving and cleansing, cleansing work. This man was theologically un- undereducated. He was a spiritual infant, and he hadn't even encountered the Holy Spirit yet directly. And Jesus says, you can do it. You can be my evangelist. You can tell others about my mercy and my power. And even the demon... The demon who was there to hurt and to harm and to kill, who wanted nothing to do with Jesus, acknowledges with his mouth in front of other people who Jesus is. You guys ready for a definition of an evangelist? An evangelist is someone who encounters Jesus and tells others. That's it. An evangelist is someone who encounters Jesus and tells others about it. That is all that is required. There is no amount of unworthiness or underqualification that you can possess that will get in the way of God doing that through you. And let me show you something else. One one last passage. Let me show you what Jesus does with the underqualified, broken evangelist. Again, this man uh, was, was broken like the rest of us had brokenness just like you and me. And let me show you what Jesus does. So this is later in Mark, Mark 7. Jesus left Tyre and went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Ten Towns, the place we had just been in where they begged him to leave and drove him out. Next verse. A deaf man with speech impediment was brought to him and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. These are the same people. The same people who... who, showed fear and anger at Jesus for really good reasons. A man who had not only just displayed a power they didn't understand, but who had devastated their local economy for reasons that he never gave them. Those people who begged Jesus to leave, who then had a person in their midst, this man, this evangelist, who who told them about the power and the mercy of God. And when Jesus comes back, it's a different heart. Where they once approached him with fear and misunderstanding, they now approach him with hope and an expectation for Jesus to heal them. This is what Jesus does with an underqualified, broken evangelist. Everything he needs to do. And more. More than this man ever expected. My goal with this message uh, is not to shame you. Don't hear me saying, you have no excuse to evangelize, so you better do it. It's not what I'm saying. All I am saying is that I want you to encounter Jesus. That is my deepest desire for you. That's, that's our deepest desire. So many people in this church, uh, pastors and, and, and members and partners as well. We want you to encounter Jesus. And my hope is that today, not just through my, mercy, my message, but through this sermon, you will be emboldened to just go and tell other people about that encounter.
other people's people <laughs> about that experience. That's all I want, just for you to be encouraged and emboldened. And I think that, well, that is actually what God has been doing for two weeks. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do both of those things. First, we're going to encounter Jesus. Uh, we are going to enter into communion, which is, a, like Pastor John said, a, a period where we as a community come before the feet of Jesus, not just to remember what he did, but to encounter who he is. So we're going to do that together. And I actually, I actually asked Jaden to, uh, to bring the elementary class in because I don't want this just to be an adult experience. I want this to be a community experience where we have babies and where we have children and where we encounter Jesus together. So there, she's going to bring them in, in in a moment. And John will give you more instructions about that. But before we do that, let me pray for us. Oh, God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your power. Thank you for the ability to do so much more than we ever realize in your name. Thank you for choosing this man, this, this underqualified, broken man as the first evangelist, for giving us a model of what you can do with an underqualified, broken person. God, I ask, I ask as we enter in this time, uh, a time of communion, a time of remembering you and encountering you, that you would... Uh, Encourage us, embolden us, meet us face to face. And for those in the room who are listening, who, who may not be so sure about this, who may have fears and doubts, let this be a moment where they encounter you. Maybe not in a way that they fully understand, maybe not in a way that they fully grasp, but just a moment where they come face to face with you, Jesus. And they walk away beginning to be changed like this man. God, we love you and we pray all this. In Jesus' name, amen. Like Roger said, we're excited to take communion together as a family with our kids, with our families. Uh, if you came alone with some friends, to do this in community um, because we remember Christ's sacrifice. There are two amazing things about communion. One is every single time that we participate in this, we proclaim Christ's death until he comes. It's kind of a weird thing, isn't it, to proclaim someone's death? We usually don't do a lot of celebrating. We do a lot more grieving with death. But why do we proclaim his death? Because even in the death of Jesus, we encounter him. Amen? Because he is alive. He is not dead. He is alive. And we get to celebrate that together. Amen? Through communion. And we must remember, because this was the ultimate sacrifice. Greater love has no one than this than he who gives up his life for his friends. And Christ was willing to do that for us. So we honor his death through communion. We remember him. I want to give you some instructions, especially uh, those of you who are parents, a little bit different today. Um, then we'll, we'll get the elements and then be able to take them together after the song that we'll sing together. But at this moment, if you are a parent and you have an elementary-aged child, you, I'm going to ask you to exit through the doors. Your kids are going to be in the lobby waiting for you, and then you'll come back with them to your seat so that they can join your family. If you have a toddler or preschool-aged child, they will still be in Life Kids upstairs, so you can get them after the service. But any elementary-aged uh, kids, you can go get them now and come back in, um, and we will grab the elements and sing together um, during this time. So you have time. Don't, don't rush. <laughs> uh, this is a little different today, but we love it. We love having our kids being a part of this with us. 
Um, as you come, you can come down the outer aisles and make your way to the two tables up front. We do have gluten-free options if you need that for communion as well. And we have the opportunity to um, take those elements and there will be two cups, one with the bread, one with the juice. So make sure you grab both of them. Um, take them back to your seats and then uh, reflect during this worship song of what God is speaking to your heart as you prepare for communion. We don't ever want to take this lightly. We don't ever want to forget the price that, that Christ paid for us. It's our opportunity to be grateful, to thank him again for his sacrifice, to thank him and to celebrate this as a family. So in just a moment, um, I'm going to walk off the stage. And when I do, you can start uh, moving to the outer aisles, grab the elements, take them back to your seat, and then reflect during this worship song. I'll be back up afterwards and we will take them together. Okay. Now that we have the communion elements, we remember when Jesus gathered with his friends in an upper room, his disciples, and he took some wine or some juice like we have, and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is a symbol of my blood that I'm spilling for you to forgive your sins, to wipe you clean, to give you a clean slate so that you are free and clean again. And so let's now take the juice to remember Christ's sacrifice for us. And then Jesus took some bread and he said, this bread represents my body. This bread is a symbol of my body that is broken for you. My body that is sacrificed on the cross for your freedom again, for your sins so that you can be free. And so now let's take the bread to remember Christ sacrificing his body for us. Jesus, we can't thank you enough for your ultimate sacrifice for us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for working in our hearts, for freeing us from guilt, from shame, from the things that we've done wrong and making us right with God again. We thank you that your presence is here now and we proclaim your death because it proclaims new life and we'll keep doing it until you come again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate for a moment what we just experienced, how we encountered Jesus? Amen. I know y'all got your kids. You might have to keep us going for a little bit longer. Is that okay? Yeah? All right. So, there's one more thing I want us to do, but first I wanted to share a little bit about my experience with evangelism. Because now, when I talk to people about evangelism, being an evangelist, one of the, the answers I often get is like, yeah, but that's your job. You're a, you're a pastor. You're a minister. You're supposed to do that, right? And it's so, it's frustrating to me, not at the individuals, but that we've, we've distorted this view of being an evangelist so much. My seminary degree has nothing to do with my ability or my willingness to share Jesus. When I was really young, um, I was in a Lutheran church, and we had, we had to do this thing called catechism. It was really cool. It was a, it was a period of education and, and spiritual development before you could take your first communion, which is what we just did. I failed mine. <laughs> I had to take it twice. And part of the reason that I failed it is because I was so focused on this knowledge of God. I thought God was a person to, to know, to have knowledge of. And I spent all class asking questions, endless questions to my pastor to the point where he'd be like, I, I need you to stop so I can teach the class. <laughs> and he failed me. And I think he failed me because under, he understood I was missing the point. I, I, God isn't a person to know. He's a person to encounter. 
I was missing the encounter. And then I got to a point in my life where that knowledge of God didn't work anymore. That knowledge of God did not sustain me. And that knowledge of God had made me so inner focused. It was just about me and God and what he could do for me. I, I, there was no outward community aspect. And I got to a point where my faith almost failed. And in that moment, I encountered Jesus in a different way. I understood him as a person who loved me, who cared about me, who didn't want me to fail, who didn't want me to experience the things I was going through. And what happened when I encountered Jesus is now I had a reason to share my face with others. Because how could I not? So again, my my seminary degree has nothing to do with my qualifications or my worthiness to talk about Jesus. It has everything to do with the fact that I have encountered him. Amen. Amen. Here's what I wants to do. And, and Jared and David give me a lot of freedom, uh, so I wanted to try something new this week. Uh, go ahead and put that slide up for me. We're going to take a couple minutes, and we're going to share the gospel. We've talked about it for two weeks, and I want this community to be a place of safety, where you can do this with not just friends and families, but brothers and sisters in Christ. So we're going to do this. We're going to, you're going to do one of two things. You're going to go and tell. You're going to find someone, and you're going to ask them permission to share about your encounter with Jesus. And I got students in the room I, and, and children in the room because I want them to do it too. And I want you to share your testimony with them as well. So if you are ready and if you are comfortable, I, that's what I want you to do is to get up in the next few minutes and find someone and share your encounter with Jesus. If you're not comfortable, that's okay, but I do want you to sit and listen. Because this room is going to fill up with stories of how people have encountered Jesus and how he has stepped into their lives. Are you ready? Don't go anywhere yet. We're going to do this, and then Pastor John's going to come back up. But let's share, just for a little bit, our encounters about Jesus. Welcome back. So if you just uh, gave the message a listen and heard the last bit at the end, where I encouraged us to take a moment to actually share the brother and sister of Christ, our friend and family, the ways that we've encountered Jesus, I would encourage you to do that if you're listening to the podcast as well, whether in this moment or sometime this week, but take time to be encouraged and to share how you've encountered Jesus with someone else this week. We're all able to be evangelists regardless of our qualifications or our worthiness. So be sure I would encourage you to do that. Also, I would encourage you to take this opportunity to, if you feel called, to support the mission of God at the church, what he's up to uh, by giving, by giving generously to what he is accomplishing at the church and in this community. If you've been faithfully doing that, I want to thank you. And if you have never done that before, that's okay. But I would encourage you to take this opportunity to do so. Uh, With all that being said, I hope that you have a really blessed week. I hope that you encounter Jesus this week and that you are emboldened to tell others about that encounter. We'll catch you again next week. Bye.